illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Fabulous Friday to you. We made it through another week. We're going to kick off the weekend in style. 888-914-9149 is the toll-free line to call. And talk to me for free. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. You can also email the program. Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Speaking of social media, I, I'm really not on Facebook anymore, but I should probably go back. I don't know. What do you guys think? Should I go back? Call me and let me know. 888-914-9149. I, I always didn't like it when I was on it. I just, I don't know, man. It just... And knowing how much the algorithm, your news feed, is manipulated uh, didn't sit well with me either, the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, all that stuff. But anyways, I, I'm just on Twitter, so you can find me there. That's the only social media I do, at Kale Clark on Twitter. But my wife is, is still, she still kind of dabbles in Facebook a little bit, mostly just to keep up with her friends and what they're up to. And she loves to to shop at this dollar store called Dollarama. I mean, and it, by the way, this is a huge business in Canada, and it's a little bit like, say, the Dollar Tree. Perhaps you're a fan of that uh, fine establishment, but Dollarama, people sometimes, they'll buy their groceries there. It's like a full-service store, and everything used to cost a dollar. Well, it's it's more like four Dollarama now. It's uh, four, five, six Dollarama. Some things are more, more than a dollar now, but they're an incredibly profitable business, and their stock is doing really well. Having said that, uh, my wife likes to shop there. She loves to go there. So it's, it's a lot of fun for her. And she she's sort of in this Facebook group that is involved with deals that you can find on Dollarama. So she saw this really interesting item pop up on the feed. And she was like, what in the world could this possibly be? And, and in fact, even the person who posted it wasn't sure what it was. And, and this was from uh, a Dollarama in the province of Quebec. Of course, uh, some of you might know that the province of Quebec was once called the most Catholic place, the most Christian place that has ever been seen on the face of the planet in the 1950s. The most evangelized culture on planet Earth, allegedly, allegedly. And now, of course, as we know, the, the faith has, everything has virtually fallen apart. I mean, secularization, it has, the church has become a punchline for the most part. There's still faithful people there, of course, in the province of Quebec. And, of course, Father Rocky travels there every summer to go to the uh, St. Joseph's Oratory, the famous St. Joseph's Oratory in Montreal that was, of course, uh, founded by Brother Andre, St. Andre Bessette. It's an incredible story, and Father always takes your prayer requests there every summer. And that pilgrimage really means a lot to him and, and to so many millions of other uh, Catholics around the world. I, anyways, in the Facebook group called Dollarama Halls and Finds, somebody posted an image of a product that was in the snack food section. And it was called, it's sort of a bag of something. It looked like a bag of chips, but it was called Ritai Dosties. Ritai Dosties. Now, now, what in the world does this mean? Now, I, I had to take French growing up in school. But I've kind of lost a lot of it. Retai dosties, de hosties, de host of the host. The what? What in the world? 
You know what it actually is? This is unconsecrated host wafers that are packaged for sale as snack foods. And they can't keep them in stock. They are incredibly popular. I, I had, This kind of blew me away. I didn't know about this. I had never heard about this. Apparently, it's only in Quebec. It's not elsewhere in Canada. It's not in the United States. It's nowhere else in the world, as far as I know. But I, so my wife was like, I, I, have, I, I don't like this. I, this is, this is a, I, I can't believe that people are selling. Now, they're, they aren't hosts. To be very, very clear, they, they have not been consecrated, okay? They, this is the, the same kind of bread that's used on leavened bread that, you know, and, and a lot of religious communities, groups of nuns, religious brothers, there are a lot of organizations, if you will, it might be actual bakeries as well that have contracts to make hosts for the church, for a diocese and archdiocese. And, and I don't quite know who's got the contract where I, I don't know anything about that side of it, but it's a little bit like the, the altar wine controversy that happened recently where uh, in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, the archbishop there uh, said, hey, priests have been using wine that's not approved for ecclesiastical use. And, they, they, and in fact, when they try to confect the Eucharist, it doesn't work because it's not, what, it's not valid matter. And so there, there's certain rules that apply to the wine, what makes, it, what makes wine whiny enough, if you will, uh, to be used at Mass. And the same is true for the host's uh, the, the unleavened bread that's used. And, of course, when a validly ordained priest or bishop does the consecration, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. The accidents remain. The taste, the texture, the feel, the taste, everything, even the alcoholic content of the wine. But it is not wine anymore. It is the body and blood of Christ. We know this. This is what the Eucharist is all about. We have to keep hammering this home, how powerful this is. We need this. And that's why next year, uh, it's a big Eucharistic year in the United States. Of course, the Eucharistic Congress happening in Indianapolis in July of next year, and we at Relevant Radio will be all over this. And we're going to have so much more on this in the future. But but back to this this issue, it's really kind of bothered my wife that that, that people would be eating, the, even though it's not consecrated, it's not, I guess you could say, maybe it's not technically sacrilegious because it's not like they're consecrated hosts that are being abused or desecrated or anything like that but there's something wrong here it, to me it just seems i agree with her this this is in bad taste and no pun intended when i when i say that that this these are being used as snack foods and they're and they're super popular anyway so she tried to post something about this saying you know as a catholic i don't think this is right because as one uh, early church writer used to say that which is most sacred in the world is often that which is most profaned, right? The enemy wants to profane. And we, we think about, uh, when we think about that, that's often said with respect to the sacrament of marriage, right? There's so many um, profanations of marriage, if you will. That which is sacred is that which is most profane. And, the, and Satan tries to counterfeit the sacraments according to uh, one early church writer, Tertullian, he likes to counterfeit the sacraments. He can't make anything. He's not that powerful. So what he tries to get us to do is to have disordered goods. Everything that God created is good. So he tries to get you to use the good thing in, in a bad way. 
the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong person. And that's certainly true when it comes to sexuality outside of marriage. But it's true of other things as well. And so he tries to counterfeit the sacraments, and he also tries to profane that which is sacred. And again, the, these, these are not consecrated hosts. I want to make that very, very clear. But it would be normally that which would be set aside for holy use. And it's interesting because I actually looked up uh, the definition of sacrilege in the dictionary just to see what it would say. And it said this. Um, let me find it here. And it said something that is it's interesting. It's interesting that it said from desecration, profanation, misuse, or violation of something regarded as sacred. So an example was used of vestments taken out of a sacristy, for example, and used at a costume party or something like that. Hey, I'm dressing up as Bishop so-and-so for, for Halloween. And yeah, it's really not a good idea. So is, you know, is this sinful? What do, you, what do you think? Anyway, so my wife had a problem with this. So she sort of commented as a Catholic, I don't think this is, this is kosher at all. And she was suspended, I think. They, I think they suspended her account. They, they deleted her comment. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I, knowing her, I'm sure it was pretty, what she said was not at all offensive personally towards any, towards any person. I didn't see what she wrote, but knowing her, I, I highly doubt it was a personal attack against anyone. So somebody complained. The original poster complained about this, and pff, comment was deleted. She was blocked. So I said, i got to do some research on this. This is the strangest thing in the world, because tomorrow, by the way, it's the nativity of John the Baptist. We celebrate the birth of John the Baptist. Now, in the province of Quebec, it is the biggest holiday of the year. It's like July the 4th, you know, that's their July the 4th. That's their Canada Day, which we celebrate on July the 1st. It's, it's their biggest holiday of the year, Jean-Baptiste Day. Big parties, big parades, lots of celebrations. Some of it is uh, over the top, let's, let's put it that way. Lots of beverages. Uh, people being overserved, fireworks, bonfires. It's, it's, it's a, the biggest deal that you could possibly imagine. And we'll tell you about, about how that came to be, a little bit more about John the Baptist in, in just a minute. I don't know if John the Baptist would be cool with this, what's going on here with these, with these wafers, but don't, don't forget, he, he is the friend of the bridegroom. John the Baptist was the best man. That's how he described himself in, in the Gospel of John, you know, the one who attends the bridegroom. Jesus Christ is the divine bridegroom, the church is his bride, and, and he's there to point people to the groom. He's not there to serve himself, he's there to serve the groom, Jesus Christ. He, he says, one who is much mightier than I, far mightier, mightier than I, is coming, and I'm not worthy to stoop down and, and undo his sandal strap. I, I, I'm just... But yet Jesus says of him, of those born of woman, nobody has, has lived greater than John. And he, he viewed him as the greatest of all prophets. But Jesus says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. So Jesus thought very, very highly of his relative John. And he was totally in with his program of repentance. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I had to do some research on this company that makes what are called host cuttings. That's what retai dostis means in French. It means host cuttings. And there was an article that came out uh, in the Montreal Gazette newspaper during the pandemic about this company, and they cannot keep up with the demand for this stuff. 
and they've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, they've been doing this actually since 1979. And during the pandemic, a lot of organizations, whether it be groups of nuns, uh, talked about the Carmel in this article talked about the Carmelite nuns in Montreal that they actually stopped making hosts because churches were shuttered, people couldn't go to mass, they had no way to do it. And a lot of these nuns who who traditionally did this, a lot of them are in their seventies, and they weren't getting any new vocations, and it was hard physical labor, and they just couldn't do it anymore, so they stopped doing it. And and so, but what? But they they never they weren't selling host wafers for snacks or anything like that that weren't, that weren't uh, uh, going to be consecrated. But there's this other company that started doing this. And they are called Variety SDS. Okay, it's not a name for the company. So the guy who owns it, his name is Stéphane Bonneau. It's a family-run business. And they've been making it in Quebec, in the province of Quebec in Canada, since 1979. And this stuff is so popular as a snack food that they actually during the year 2020 when the pandemic started they had there were this the their factory was going 24 hours a day three shifts six days a week their their machine their host cutting machine never stopped never stopped so and again i don't think that they i don't think that they sell hosts unconsecrated hosts to any catholic churches or i don't know maybe they do but i don't think that they do so what, what they actually do is they, they sell these kind of square wafers and they have a hole punched out of them. for And that's the host. The host would normally be the round, of course, uh, punch out that would then be uh, given to, in a normal situation, given to a parish, a cathedral, whatever, and then they'd be set aside for consecrated use. So their, their wafers always had a hole in the middle. But then they kind of stopped doing that and they started just producing the square uh, wafers, you know, just without the hole cut out of the middle. And, and anyways, they're super, super popular. Uh, they sell them uh, in two sizes, 60 gram or 115 gram. They're sold in convenience stores. They're sold, obviously, at this Dollarama store. They're sold all over the place, and they cannot keep them in stock. People are quite literally eating these up. And it's really strange. It's a really strange phenomenon to me. 888 Nine one four nine. I would love to uh, hear what you think about this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. And so, this kind of got started by this guy Gaston Bonneau. He was a, an entrepreneur in Quebec City, and he ran a, a plumbing and heating business. And he also, in the summertime, he would run ice cream shops, like sort of little small ice cream counters. And his wife said, "Hey, why don't why don't you make?" communion wafer bread and sell it and he's like oh that's an interesting idea and so he went to montreal he had two 200 cases of it that was his initial production run and he met with a wholesaler for a grocery store chain now this guy who started the company he's 74 years old now and the guy who who sort of was the wholesaler for the grocery stores he he said you're nuts no one is going to buy this i can't believe you're even suggesting this this is ridiculous and he said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll try somewhere else. So he started visiting all these other stores, like individual grocery stores, and he started giving it away free of charge. He's, and he said, look, if you can sell this, then just call me back and tell me that you want more. But you don't, you don't even have to buy it from me. Just take it, see if people want it. And Monday morning at 9 o'clock, the grocery store owner calls him and says, what the heck did you do? I'm getting swamped with calls 
not only did we sell out of this stuff, I, people are calling saying, how can I get more? So he started producing more. And then he signed deals with all these other grocery stores. Now they have a huge network of distributors and they sell all over the province. Now the United States came calling and saying, hey, have you considered selling this stuff stateside? Have you considered selling it at Dollar Tree? Dollar Tree actually wanted to place a huge order with him. And he said, actually, no. Business is too good right now. I don't need to expand. I'm just going to kind of keep it. Wait, so that's why, if you've never heard of this, that's probably why. It never did make it into the United States yet. And maybe that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. And I just thought, what, what is going on here? Well, here's what, here's what Stefan Bonneau, who's the son who now runs the business, here, here's what he says about this. He calls it the perfect snack. He says, quote, they're like chips. You can't open a bag and not eat them all. It's got like Lay's chips. You can't, bet you can't eat just one. He said, but they're good for you. And they bring back a lot of happy memories for people. What more can you ask for? End of quote. I just thought, man, you know what? That is probably one of the reasons why people are wanting to eat these things. Because it does bring back memories for people of going to Mass. It's a nostalgia for the Mass. This is so interesting to me. Let, let me let me go to the phones right now. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. It's got a Mary in Chicago. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mark. My first Hi. time calling into your show. Oh, well, thank you for calling. I'm glad to have you. First time caller. I love it. Yeah, I have calling on two other shows, but not this one. It was very funny when I heard you being shocked about this thing because it's been popular in Colombia for many, many years. Really? This is, this is very popular yeah. in Colombia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even even the little nuns that make the holes, they have in the little uh, religious shop, they sell bags of that. Interesting. Wow. I, 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 that is, that is, I, I honestly can tell you, I've never heard of this before today. <laughs> But so it's very popular in Colombia. That's uh, thank you, Mary, for calling in, and thank you for for letting us know that. Uh, have a blessed weekend, and, and thank you for for calling the Kale Clark Show for the first time. I hope you call back. Well, let's let's see what the rest of you guys think. Let's go to Claudia in Deerfield Beach, Florida, in the Fort Lauderdale area. Hi, Claudia. Well, hello. So this is really really funny because this is another person from Colombia. <laughs> oh, okay. So. Well, I am 59 years old now, but when I was in middle school in Colombia, mm-hmm. I was attending a Catholic school, and we used to have mass once a month on Fridays. So we would look forward to having mass and having communion, but after mass, we'll have recess. And during recess, we knew that the father would bring us little paper bags full of the host cuttings. And that was the best snack we had once a month. And we would always <laughs> wow. look for father to give us the cuttings. And they were amazing. And they were actual cuttings. I mean, they were little pieces that you could see that they were part of, you know, a circle in the middle. But they mm-hmm. were they didn't have the full circle. They were just little triangles yeah. that one of the sides of the triangle was, you know, part of a circle. And, it, and we it. would just, like, chase father around the school. Father, the clippings, father, the clippings. And he'll finally, you know, he didn't have enough for everybody. So whoever was the luckiest and got to father first, got the little bags, and then we'll share with the others. <laughs> so, yeah. and But they, he would never sell them, you know. So 
I understand giving them to, you know, kids as a, as a precious snack, but as far as selling them, that, that is mm. kind of like a very to me. <laughs> I wouldn't and, buy them, but... Um, and, and Claudia, can I ask you this? Do, do you think, like, at that time, do, could kids tell the difference between, okay, th- they understood that, hey, once the consecration happens, then it this is Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, so, do they kind of oh, yeah. get that? Okay, they're catechized well enough no, to, to understand this. I, I, the taste was the same, and the taste was awesome, uh, but uh, but we knew that these were just, you know, little clippings. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we knew the difference. Yes, we knew the difference. But yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. talking probably 46 years ago. <laughs> I was eating coast clippings, and I always tell the story, and people would look at me here in the U.S. like, "Hmm, what kind of Catholic school was that?" But it was a great school, actually. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. Well, th- thank you, Claudia, for calling in. Really appreciate that call. Hey, I don't. A lot of you guys want to chime in on this, so stay on the line if you're on the line. Triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. I have never heard of this before. Uh, hosts uh, that bread that would is used to make hosts uh, unconsecrated being used as snack food. I I got to tell you, this is a new one on me. I'm not sure what to think about this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back after this break with much much more. and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We are cruising through this Friday. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you with me. 888 A lot of you guys want to chime in. I talked about this company in Quebec, Canada that sells it's, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, host bread that is not consecrated. They're packaging up, they're selling it as snacks, and they can't keep it on the shelves. They're called host cuttings, and people are gobbling them up. I find it kind of odd. I find it kind of strange, and some of you guys do as well. 888 Some of you guys are saying it's a thing in places like Columbia. A couple callers from Columbia uh, who had grown up in Columbia called earlier and said, hey, I saw this all the time growing up. I don't know what to think of this, 888 But right now, just before we get back to that, producer Jim Shaper has prepared for you, because it's Friday, we always do this, it's the week that was on the K.O. Clark Show. Check it out. Big surprise, out of Rome, Pope Francis dropped a new apostolic letter all about Blaise Pascal, who wrote his famous Ponsets. And Ponsets simply means thoughts. Blaise Pascal wanted to, as the Pope says, quote, devote his energies to works of mercy. There's nothing more pressing than this. We saw that the sole object of scripture is love. Let's go to Dean in Stockton, California. Hi, Dean. Kale, I am so happy that you're talking about Blaise Pascal today. Almost 50 years ago, I was studying a great books program in a secular school in New Mexico, and I loved Blaise Pascal. When I read these great books, I go, man, we don't need to leave behind the Western traditions right here. And that was instrumental in my becoming Catholic. It's long been considered a career killer to burn bridges. But things are kind of shifting a little bit. Uh, In this article by Leah Carroll, she talks about how um, workers are becoming 
increasingly vocal about workplace issues. If they're, if they're in a toxic workplace, they're now starting to talk about that. And some experts say that it's actually necessary to get some of this stuff out. Because if you don't, if you really are leaving a toxic workplace, you might not want to say anything about it for fear that it might harm your future job prospects. But what about all the people who are still working there or who might work there in the future? What about them? They're going to have to deal with this. And so sometimes this is, this is good. It can promote positive change in an organization. Aloysius Gonzaga, his nickname as a kid was Luigi. Did he play Super Mario Brothers? No, he did not. But he was definitely into games, as we'll see. Little Luigi was super excited to go and hang out with Dad and all his friends and all the soldiers. So all the soldiers are asleep. They're in their barracks. Um, his dad, all of his fellow soldiers. Well, in the middle of the night, he decided to fire off an actual cannon, the six-year-old Aloysius Gonzaga. So he, he gets out of bed and he picks up the heaviest cannonball that his six-year-old body can lift. So he called out, wake up, wake up, prepare for battle. And then he fired the cannon. Boom! Yeah, we need John Madden here for a sound effect. Boom! And all the soldiers woke up. The recoil from the cannon had hit him right in the chest. It's a miracle they survived. But not only did he survive, other than a slight concussion, he was pretty much okay. Believe it or not, God used this to finally get a hold of young Aloysius. And it is said at that point, he made this promise, I will never be disobedient again. We've got 14-year-old Marisol on the line. I was asking a question about how God made the Earth in seven days. But in biology, we learned that dinosaurs existed on Earth for right. millions of years before other species. Here's how I like to explain it. Part of Genesis is history. A large chunk of it is history, the history of Father Abraham, the early beginnings of the Jewish people, how God dealt with them. But the first three chapters about the creation of the world, that is actually poetry. That's not history. If you think I'm, oh, okay, well, how can you say that? Well, Pope Benedict said that. So it's a poetic account of how God created the world. It's not meant to be a science textbook. I want every young, young person listening to know, if you're studying science, there's nothing in science that contradicts the Catholic faith. There's nothing in the Catholic faith that contradicts science. So science tells us how things work in God's world. Uh, the creation story in the Bible tells us that God did it. The most famous book that St. Thomas More wrote was called Utopia. He actually invented that word. I didn't know that. Now, what's really kind of funny about this, it's an imaginary report about a land that is discovered where people live sensibly. Utopia. So it's an imaginary land where everybody lives sensibly. But here, here's the joke about it. And this is, again, the humor of St. Thomas uh, More. Utopia actually means no place. So there is no utopia. And that, that's true in more ways than one. There, there is no utopia in this world. There's always going to be a lot of craziness. There's always going to be sinfulness. There's always going to be people making bad decisions like Henry VIII. And we somehow have to be faithful in it. Hey, welcome back. That was a great week. That was thank you to producer Jim Shaper for pulling that together. Hey, we even got the John Madden sound effect in there. I love that. Love that. Hey, if you missed any of that stuff, you missed any of the shows from this week, you can always catch them on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You can stream them. You can share them. Tell a friend about the show and the Faith Explained show and all the other great programs that we have here on Relevant Radio. Spread the good word as we try to bring Christ to the world through the media and have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and a lot of joy along the way. Well, just before that, we were talking about this this odd phenomenon, which is news to me. I had never heard about this before today, that in some parts of the world, people sell as snacks 
host cuttings that that's left over from the production of hosts that are destined for a consecration. These are again, this is this is not these are not consecrated. This is the same kind of bread that would be consecrated, unleavened bread. And some people are eating the unconsecrated bread as snack foods, packaging it up, selling it. And one of the companies that produces this in Quebec, Canada, the owner says they're like chips. You can't open a bag and not eat them all. They bring back a lot of happy memories for people. What more can you ask for? And I think this is a, a strange, almost nostalgia for the mass. I, I find it really sad that what the people miss are the accidents, the taste of uh, the, the host rather than the substance which is Jesus Christ. Um, that's what they really should be missing. And, you know, it, I think this is certainly true of Europe. You, you go to Europe and you see these empty cathedrals, these these beautiful cathedrals. They're largely empty. In North America, it's getting to be that way. Certainly in Quebec, it's a lot like Europe where the church was so omnipresent. Everybody was Catholic. And now pff, Mass is sparsely attended in most places. But North America, Europe, it is haunted in some ways by the memory of Jesus Christ. Not that he's a memory. He is alive. He is present today in the Eucharist. And there's a historian by the name of Mark Knoll. Uh, he's not a Catholic, but uh, some years ago he wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. He's an evangelical. And uh, the scandal is that he didn't think there was much of an evangelical mind in terms of scholarship, the intellectual life. That's another story. But he also wrote a book about the history of Christianity in North America, and he said that Quebec in the 1950s was the most evangelized, the most Catholic, the most Christian place that had ever been seen on the face of the earth. The church was omnipresent. Everybody was Catholic. But yet in one generation, it fell apart. How is that possible? Well, maybe because it was only apparently Catholic. It was only on the surface, and, and there wasn't that deep conversion um, again, I love to reference that scene from the, the second Godfather movie where uh, the cardinal breaks open. He takes a rock from the fountain. He says, see this rock? It's surrounded by water. He breaks it open. It's bone dry inside. He said, that, this is Europe. This is, this, is, this is Europeans when it comes to the faith. They're surrounded by it. They're surrounded by the vestiges of it, but, but it's never penetrated to the core. And I feel like that's the way it has been with respect to Catholics in some of these places like Quebec. And, and, and again, whew, it's, it's just a powerful thought. Let's go to the phones right now, 888 Phone lines are, wow, they're, they're on fire right now. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Pal in Los Angeles. Hi, Pal. Hi, uh, Kale. This is uh, Pal. I'm calling to make a statement. Sure. I believe it may be a huge correlation between the fact that we had COVID, everyone was isolated, and maybe they ordered them hmm. and missing the host and missing going to communion. You know what I mean? They probably ordered them, and then now they're after, after COVID. A lot of people are not going to church, but they, I'm just saying, maybe it's a possibility. That they still order them, and they're thinking, why go back to church? You can do it at home. Well, the thing, the thing is, you, you can't do it at home because uh, it's just bread uh, unless a priest consecrates it or a bishop consecrates it. And, and so then it becomes, of course, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So you, you, this is not a do-it-yourself kind of thing. And this is why it was so painful during the pandemic for people because they could not receive the Eucharist unless there was some 
in some places there were kind of workarounds. Uh, there were, uh, I don't know, uh, outdoor. Once people figured out you couldn't catch it outside, there were outdoor masses, drive-through situations, very odd hybrid situations. But but th- this is the thing: like we need to come together in person as the body of Christ to receive the Eucharist in person. You can't receive this sacrament virtually, and that's why it's so painful. So we did the best we could, but it was certainly no substitute for the real thing, and by that I mean the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Thank you for that phone call, pal, in Los Angeles. Let's go to Phyllis in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Phyllis. Hi, Kale. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, when I, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I went to a Catholic school, and we had the unconsecrated host in the church uh, at the front of the aisle with a small dish next to it, and mm-hmm. or at the end of the aisle sometimes with a small dish next to it. So if you were planning to go to communion, you would, you would use the tongs and put a host into the small uh, uh, dish oh, next to it. And that would ta- be taken up for transubstantiation. Now, when we were kids, we were you know, the church was always open. We'd be playing outside and you know, we knew it wasn't consecrated. We knew it was, you know, just sitting there. We'd go in there, and, and if we were hungry, we'd a, we'd a couple of wafers, thinking, no big deal. It's almost like that story of David in the Old Testament when he ate the showbread, right? And uh, and he and his companions, they were hungry. You know, I was like, oh, let's just eat this. You know, it's not really something they should have been hanging around with and, and touching and stuff, as he wasn't a priest, of course, but, but he did it. And um, that's... It's uh, that's uh, that's an interesting example, and um, I also thought it was really interesting that you said, Phyllis, that uh, at that parish that people would, I guess, it was their way of sort of counting how many hosts they needed to consecrate, how many people were actually at mass. They would, if you showed up, you took a tong, you took one of the unconsecrated hosts and put it in uh, the ciborium that would that would eventually be taken up to the altar. Interesting, interesting thought. I've never heard of that before. So, uh, thank you so much for calling in. Intriguing, intriguing story. Let's go to Melissa on line one. In California, in Orange County, Laguna Niguel. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Kale. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks <laughs> good, for calling. Good. Good. I'm a I'm a new caller. I'm I'm actually really new to Relevant Radio. Probably oh. just started listening in the last couple months, and I just well, wanted welcome. to thank whomever. Um, my son goes to St. Anne's Catholic School in Laguna Niguel, and uh, someone had a Relevant Radio bumper sticker. And um, Love it. interestingly, I've been listening kind of nonstop since I saw that sticker. And uh, there was a program, I can't recall who it was, but they were talking about evangelizing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that something as simple as having that sticker on your car, and you'll never know, you know, who you might have touched with that. So whoever had that on their car, thank you. Um, oh, the reason story. for my call, <laughs> I do have uh, the, uh, the, the memory from going on a field trip uh about um, where they made the host. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, mm. um, but that wasn't the reason that that, that prompted my call today. Um, at the top of the program, you, you asked about social media, and you said that you were on Twitter and yeah. that your wife was on Facebook, and you were talking about um, you know how she was censored for a comment on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had sh- my reason for my call is that I have a group called uh, an organization because it's called on, um, Moms on the Ground, and um, we've been fighting really hard to protect our children out here in California. Yeah. Sorry, I'm starting to get a little cheery. And um, we're about 30,000 followers strong on Instagram. Wow. And 
we recently learned that um, from a uh, Washington Post article uh, that Instagram, uh, the, the title of the article was Instagram Connects a Wide uh, Pedophile Network. And so, you know, we made the really hard decision yesterday to completely leave Instagram. Um, and we're hoping that our 30,000 followers will come over to Twitter. Um, we posted a uh, video on Twitter yesterday to explain why we could no longer stay on Instagram. We were mm-hmm. heavily censored on a lot of issues from, you know, tra- transgenderism and the push in our schools for LBGTQ stuff. And, um, you know, we've been, had followers taken away from us and, you know, that was a lot. Um, and then we had our um, attorney general out here um, actually speak to uh, Instagram and Facebook about silencing any concerns about election integrity. So, you know, again, our, our freedom of speech being censored. And so this fine, this was the final straw with the pedophile network on Instagram. So, you know, the reason for my call to you today was to say, I think you're right in just being on Twitter. And uh, I think that this social media in and of itself is, is, and the, the, the intense usage of it is the destruction of our children and our families. And, um, yeah, it's uh, Melissa, thank you for calling in. And, um, yeah, it's a tough decision that you had to make with all, all the followers that you could reach yet. Some of the restrictions that were being imposed on you and, and being in some ways, deplatformed content that you wanted to post being taken off. And, and obviously they have some serious security issues that they need to deal with. I did see that headline as well. And one one thing about Elon Musk, who is in charge of Twitter now, he will not stand for any of that stuff. Um, um, anything that that smacks of, of of that's even suggesting pedophilia, he, he is absolutely going to going to take that off the platform. And good for him for doing that. Um, and he certainly wants Twitter to be more of a town square where where people's views, um, whether you're would brand yourself a liberal or a conservative he, he wants everybody to have a voice um within reason of course anything that's out of bounds he's not going to allow but but i i think that's he's so he's kind of trying to dial back and, and really make it a public square and and people are upset uh, on the on the left because tucker carlson is now on twitter um and elon musk said hey if there's voices from the left that want to do the same thing go for it and let the people have at it and judge the ideas on their merits. And that's, uh, that's the way it, uh, it should be. And, uh, anyways, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, I'm not sure whether it's a good thing or not. Social media in general, it's certainly a way to evangelize. Pope Benedict talked about the digital continent. We've got to evangelize the digital continent. The internet's there, whether we like it or not. But I, I feel like there was a point in time when, and like anything, it's a tool. It can be used for good or evil. Is the utility worth all the bad stuff that you've got to put up with? I don't know. I, I kind of almost long for a simpler time. I did a show earlier this week about uh, the early 2000s before the Internet really got going. Life seemed to be pretty simple back then in a certain sense, and I I've, I kind of miss the way it was. But it is the way it is now, and we have to we have to deal with the situation. We have to play it as it lays, as they, as they say in golf. And uh, I've certainly had some terrible lies uh, throughout my life I've had to deal with, and we all have to deal with it. So... I respect your choice, Melissa, and uh, thank you so much for calling in. And I'm so glad you found Relevant Radio through that bumper sticker. And hey, if you go to Listener Relations, if you just go to the website, contact us, we'd be happy to send you a bumper sticker. We love that stuff. And uh, people do find Relevant Radio because of our billboards, because of bumper stickers, something as simple as that. And uh, I encourage you guys to spread 
a good word about relevant radio. Hey, we've got to take a quick break right now. We're up against it, but we'll be right back after this. 888-914-9149. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free. 888-914-9149. We'll get back to this whole topic, your phone calls, about whether unconsecrated hosts are suitable as snack food. I can't believe that's a thing, but it is. And apparently it's... Very popular in a lot of places on planet Earth, which I didn't know before you guys filled me in. So a lot of you guys have takes on that. If you want to call and ask about something else, you sure can. This show is about faith, facts, and fun. Here's a little fun topic for a Friday. A lot of you guys might think about checking out a movie, either one that's currently in the theaters, or maybe a classic from the past. Well, guess what? The very first Batman movie was released 34 years ago today in 1989, directed by Tim Burton. Starring, of course, Michael Keaton as Batman, which is pretty controversial. Here's a clip from the trailer. Check it out. Across this nation, the words Gotham City are synonymous with crime. Our streets are overrun. Our public officials are helpless. I'm Batman. Batman. Michael Keaton. Apparently he ad-libbed that line, too, by the way. That wasn't in the script. I'll tell you about that in just a second. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, my handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. There's a great Twitter account called All the Right Movies. It's got some fantastic info on movies. It's really, really good. And they had this thread that came out today because it is the 34th anniversary of the release of Batman and back in 1978 when the Superman movie with Christopher with Christopher Reeve came out remember that that kind of touched off that was the the granddaddy of them all in terms of the uh, superhero movie craze Superman was such a big hit of course Warner Brothers wanted to turn next to Batman and so um, one of the co-writers of the Superman film was hired to write a Batman movie it was supposed to have Robin in it uh, the Joker and the Penguin were going to be the villains and actually, believe it or not, the first idea, and this is a terrible idea, I'm so glad this movie never got made, it was supposed to be a comedy film. Somewhat like the old Batman TV show in the 1960s with Adam West. And uh, apparently Michael J. Fox was going to play Robin, or possibly Eddie Murphy, they were looking at him too. John Lithgow was going to be the Joker. David Niven would be Alfred, that kind of makes sense. But Bill Murray was going to be Batman. I'm so happy. Listen, I love Bill Murray, Caddyshack, all that stuff, but I'm so happy that they never made that. I like my Batman to be really serious. Anyways, another idea was to have Mel Gibson play Batman, and Richard Donner, who directed the, the first Superman films, uh, was, going to, uh, was going to be the director. That would have been interesting, actually. But that never got made for various reasons. Uh, the project was shelved. Um... Tim Burton eventually was brought on. He said, hey, I'll take the job if my girlfriend, uh, whose name was Julie Hickson, she was an artist, can, can help me write the script. And they said, okay, well. So they wrote like this mini script. It was 30 pages. And um, they were like, I don't know, man. We, we don't know if we really want Tim Burton to do this. But then he made a movie called Beetlejuice. You might remember that one. Also starring Michael Keaton. And when Beetlejuice was a smash hit, they're like, okay, 
we'll let you do Batman. And so Tim Burton actually thought about having some other guys be Batman. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, who was Remington Steele, right? Eventually became James Bond. They looked at him, looked at some other guys. But at the end of the day, he really wanted Michael Keaton. And so they were like, you can't have Michael Keaton. He's a, he's a comedic actor. Like, trust me, I'm not making a comedy. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. So, okay. So when, when, when word got out that Michael Keaton was going to be Batman, people were so incensed by this. Uh, Batman fans all around the world were so unhappy. They wrote 50,000 letters of protest to Warner Brothers. Even Bob Kane, who was the, one of the original creators of Batman, the comic book, he was like, what are they doing? And uh, no one thought this would work. Apparently, even Adam West, who was 61 years old at the time, he wanted to be picked to play Batman. And he says he cried for an hour when they picked Michael Keaton. Okay, I think that's... You need to calm down, Adam. Give me a break. Anyway, so Michael Keaton really dove into the role. He uh, lived alone in London as a recluse, essentially, for one year. Kind of like Bruce Wayne in his mansion. And And he looked at two famous Batman comic books. One is called The Dark Knight Returns and Batman year one if you're into comic books you know those ones are really good by frank miller so he just kind of delved into that material and it was michael keaton who came up this, with this idea of batman's voice is lower than bruce wayne's voice that's how he disguises his voice i'm batman and he came up with that line i'm batman the line was supposed to be i am the knight but he kind of changed it on the fly and tim burton liked it they kept it and what about the Joker? Well, obviously, Jack Nicholson famously played the Joker. It was supposed to be William Willem Dafoe. Talks fell apart. They went to Nicholson. He wasn't sure he wanted to do it. He's like, I don't know. So they, they actually hired Robin Williams to play the Joker. And then they told Jack Nicholson, hey, we've, we've hired Robin Williams. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it after all. And then they had to fire Robin Williams, and Robin Williams was so mad, he refused to work with Warner Brothers again until they officially apologized. They basically used him as a pawn. Anyways, um, there's so many interesting things about the making of this film. you got to check out this thread. We'll post a link to it. Jack Nicholson, not only did he sign up to play the Joker, he actually cut a sweet deal to get a percentage of the gross revenues from the film. Massive box office take. He personally made $60 million just from that. Oh, wow. Anyways, um, uh, Vicki Vale, who was eventually played by Kim Basinger, was supposed to be Sean Young, but she broke her collarbone uh, riding a horse, so... Uh, Kim Basinger was called like 10 days before the shooting started. Can you do it? And she said, yep, I will do it. Um, anyways, very, very interesting stuff. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? John Williams. They wanted John Williams who did the Superman theme to do the music. Um, Danny Elfman was, was the pick of uh, Tim Burton. They're like, I don't know if we want this guy. So he composed the iconic uh, theme for the first Batman film in 1989 for free. He said, check this out. We'll do it for free. If you want me, hire me. They loved it. They hired him. And, of course, Prince did the popular soundtrack. They tried to get Michael Jackson. He couldn't commit to it. They tried to get George Michael to do it, and he was busy. They eventually turned to Prince. And the Batmobile, the famous Batmobile in the film, by the way, was inspired by Malcolm Campbell's Bluebird, which set the land speed record in 1935. It kind of looks like it. And so, anyways, interesting stuff. Uh, The original Batman movie, and I'm a huge Batman fan. If you ask me who's my favorite superhero, it depends on... What side of the bed I get up on, it's either Superman, Batman, or Spider-Man. But, yeah, iconic, iconic uh, Michael Keaton stuff. Anyway, let's go back to the phones right now. Jim is in Palm Springs, California. Hey, Jim. Hello. Jim, you're on the air. It's good to have you. Thank you. 
Um, you know, I, in, in listening to this, uh, I was really shocked as I think, uh, a lot of people are. And I, what comes to me is that, that there's a lack of reverence. If you would, if you would take away the, uh, idea of a snack and just mm. advertise it as a, or a, a, as a communion snack and take that away, I, I wonder how that would be. You know, mm. and when we look at the areas that it seems to be so popular in, um, I I often wonder, you kind of look at them and there's a lot of um, bad things that go on in those areas. There's a lot of demonic, uh, I think, um, oppression. And um, we're blessed in this country because there's enough um, influence here that we still believe in the real presence of Jesus. And I think when we start to very subtly, as, as the enemy does so many times, very subtly lulls us into, um, you know, ir- ir- in this, at least in this instance, irreverence of what it really is. We, we take something mm-hmm. and we make fun of it. You know, like yeah. what we recently had here with the, um, with the Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. ordeal. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's important that we, we try to remember there's a reverence there, um, that we cannot compromise. And I think it's, it's, it's compromise, but I, I applaud you for bringing this to the forefront because I think so many times these things come as a very subtle, uh, they're kind of snuck in. And before Mm -hmm. we know it, we start to say, what's going on? I don't understand. You know, mm. where did that come from? So I, I really, I really appreciate uh, you doing that. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for your, for your kind words and for calling in. I appreciate that. Call back anytime, Jim in Palm Springs. And yeah, I, I do get the sense that, that yeah, they're, they're not consecrated hosts, but the very fact that people are eating the unconsecrated uh, bread, uh, host bread, um, host cuttings, as they're called, as a snack, I feel like that subtly undermines the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. It, 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 again, takes what is sacred, meant to be sacred, could be consecrated, and, and, and just brings it to the level of the profane, the, the ordinary. And, and I don't know, I just, I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. That's just my take. And I thank you guys for calling in. Thank you for listening to the show all week. Check out the podcast. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.